welcome church I've always wanted to do this I, I may have messed something up right there I'm not sure <clears throat> how awesome is that now everyone's gonna want to line up and try this and sound like T-Pain <clears throat> You know, one of the things, I want to say this before we, we jump in tonight to episode two of our series. You know, I think it's so cool, uh, the, the team and the leadership and the talent that God has blessed us with in our band. Can we give them a round of applause? <laughs> Unbelievable. A month ago, it was gospel night, then it was folk night, and then it was uh, uh, Latin night last week, and this night is EDM, electronic and the fact that God has blessed us with such talent and leadership where they can switch every week and create fresh arrangements around these different styles that represents different parts of the church across the world is really amazing. And uh, we're just, we're so blessed to have that team. So make sure you uh, congratulate them, encourage them after the service, Josh and his leadership and Sarah and the whole team, uh, so very grateful for them. And I, I was also excited for tonight because if you know me, you know I like electronic music. I like EDM a lot. Uh, and if we want to like chop it up on DJs you like after, come see me after the service. But I also thought it was cool because, you know, representing different people in worship is really important. And this kind of worship represents a younger generation, a younger audience. You know, I was talking to somebody before the service, actually two different people, telling them about tonight. They're like, I've never heard that before. And it's like, that's so cool that, that we have the opportunity to worship in a different style that represents maybe a different generation. Uh, and God's blessed us with um, this space and these people to do that together. And so I just want to encourage you to encourage them. And uh, we still have one song at the end. So that's going to be great. And if you want to get in line to try out the T-Pain uh, vocals, you know, maybe ask Josh. Maybe he'll let you try it. So tonight we're beginning episode two of our series, Activated. And before we jump in, I want to say something to everyone in the room and to you online. And that is this. Will you commit to taking notes in this series? I never really say this. If you have the Crossbridge Brickle app, you know that there's a note icon. You can click on that. You can follow along. I put notes for every sermon so you can kind of track with me as we're moving through God's word. But I'm telling you this because I really believe that if you take the next six weeks or six more weeks in this series, we just started it, if you take the next six weeks and you focus, you engage, you're here every Sunday. If you're out of town for work, you tune in on YouTube and you watch live or you watch it the next day if you can't make it at 5 p.m. for some reason. And you take notes, your own personal notes, um, because I think personal notes matter more than just notes that somebody else gives you. If you do that, here's what I believe. I believe that your life will be changed. And I don't say that like, I, I don't think I've ever said that in a sermon before, outside of just like, if you believe in Jesus, your life will be changed. I, that I 100% uh, declare to you. But I really believe that in this series, if you focus, if you take notes, if you bring a moleskin and you write, write all across it, if you take notes on your phone, whatever it is, that God's going to change your life through this series. Here's why I say that. Because I said this last week, four years ago, this series changed my life drastically changed my life and my ministry and my worship, and I had the privilege of preaching it. It was called The Gift four years ago for those of you that were here, and we renamed it Activated, and there's more in it this time, and I just know that there's so much in this, in this series and God's word that's going to be held out to you that I think it will change your life if you take notes and if you focus. So I just want to encourage you from the jump uh, to do that. 
to engage with me. This is active participation. So tonight, we are looking into how, what does it look like to be activated by the Spirit. Last week, we started off by seeing Jesus as being one who was activated by the Spirit. A quick recap, last week we were looking into Jesus' baptism and then the subsequent chapter, which spoke about how Jesus was filled by the Spirit, how he was led by the Spirit, how he uh, was given power by the Spirit, and then anointed by the Spirit for his purpose. Now this is so important to understand because Jesus is fully God and fully man. He's both of those things. And so when Jesus comes down in his earthly ministry, his earthly ministry, he's relying upon the Spirit. Because in his humanity, he's modeling for us how we are to live. We're to live dependent and surrendered to God the Father, following his will for our life, and dependent upon the Spirit who gives power and who leads and who anoints And so Jesus models this and shows this, and I said this one statement last week, and we're going to see why it's important this evening, and that's this. The Holy Spirit is the fuel to the engine of your spiritual life. And so as we're going through this this series activated, looking into the person of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you need to understand from the very beginning why this series and why we're talking about it is so important. It's because the Holy Spirit is the one that gives fuel to the engine of your spiritual life. It is not you in your own strength. It is the Spirit who you rely upon. And so this evening, we're going to look at how do you live a life activated by the Spirit. And here's the answer. Through spiritual practices. Some people call them spiritual disciplines. Through spiritual practices, you live your life activated by the Spirit. Now, spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines are not uh, disagreed upon within the church. Spiritual gifts more so, and we're going to focus on spiritual gifts of the next four weeks of this series. But spiritual practices like prayer and fasting and studying scripture across the landscape of the church, I would say the overwhelming majority Maybe 99.99% of followers of Christ believe in the importance of spiritual practices. And you are probably here tonight if you believe in faith in Jesus and you say, these things are important. But here's a question I want you to ask, and it's a really important question. Does your belief about the importance of spiritual practices, does that belief create a lifestyle where those practices are consistently observed? So it's one thing to say, I believe that spiritual practices are important. It's another thing to live those spiritual practices all the time. And I think that's where the disconnect is. Many of us in this room, if I were to poll and say, is prayer important? Yes. Is fasting important? Yes. Is studying the Bible important? Yes. Is solitude or meditation important? Yes. We would go down the list and you would agree to it. But the question is, you agree to the importance, but are they in your life? You see, the reason I'm bringing that up is because we live in this culture. We've, we've kind of allowed this culture to develop in, in American Christianity in particular, which is an optional culture where you can kind of pick and choose which parts of the faith you want to apply to your life, depending on the season you're in, depending how busy you are, depending on what's happening. You kind of like it's a la carte. You take what you want. But there's some things that are essential. So one of the things that I think most people would say, outside of your faith in Jesus Christ, 
which obviously is the most essential thing. You cannot call yourself a follower of Christ if you don't believe in Christ as your Savior and your Lord. But most people would say that if you believe in Jesus, you should be willing to identify with Jesus. So you shouldn't be ashamed. You should be able to say, I'm a Christian, or I'm a follower of Christ, or I believe in Jesus, whatever term you want to use. But most people use the term Christian. You should be able to say, I'm a Christian. But if someone were to say, how do you view discipleship? Many of us, maybe we wouldn't say it out loud, but we would think that's kind of optional. Parts of it are optional, kind of pick and choose discipleship. Because a disciple is somebody who is in a process of discipleship. They're being discipled and they're discipling someone else. That is the model in the New Testament. Jesus says, go and make what? Disciples of all nations. Here's why I tell you that. In the Bible, the word Christian is used three times. Three times the entire Bible. Do you know how many times the word disciple is used? 269. Jesus did not say, go throughout all the world and make Christians of all people, people that identify with this label of their following of Jesus. He said, go make disciples of all people. Now, here's the thing. A Christian is a disciple of Christ, and a disciple is a Christian. These things are linked, but we, in some way, have kind of separated them, and many of us live a life like this. I am a Christian, but I'm not a disciple. It sounds preposterous to say that. Like, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a disciple. Because we have this kind of a la carte Christianity where we pick and choose certain things that we want to apply in certain seasons of our life. So discipleship, being a disciple, a follower of Christ that is in the process of discipleship is kind of optional. But it's not meant to be. You see, discipleship, being identified as a disciple of Jesus in this process of learning and growing and implementing in particular these spiritual practices is so important. It is vital. And I'm telling you this, not as somebody on stage who has it all together. Listen, if you're looking for a model for how to live your your life of faith, do not look to me, look to Jesus, okay? I need this message just as much as every one of you here. Because I need to see the Spirit reorient my lifestyle and my rhythms and my practices so that I might be a disciple of Christ in the way that God is calling me to. And so I hope you hear that and I hope you step into that this evening and say, I want to live as a disciple of Christ. It involves these things we're going to talk about tonight. And I need to do the deep work of seeing whether these things, practices are a part of my life, and if not, why, and how do I begin to grow in them? That is the prayer tonight. That is what we're asking God to do. John chapter 16, verse 13 says this about the Holy Spirit and what he, I believe he's going to do for us tonight. <clears throat> but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. But he, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. I love this verse. Because speaking about the Holy Spirit, it says the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And he alone is going to guide you into all truth. What that means is he's going he's to guide you into true thinking, true belief, true love, true morality, and a true spiritual life. True discipleship. A true spiritual life. 
the true lifestyle that you're to live as a person of faith. That is what he has promised to do, and through his word and together, that's what we're going to discover. And so we're going to be focused kind of on one verse tonight, and there will be a couple other verses that we'll jump around with and see, but the one verse is John chapter 5, verse 19. Here's what God's word says to us. John chapter 5, verse 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. I want to read it one more time. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son, that the son does likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here in this passage, something is very apparent right off the jump. And that is this, that Jesus is surrendered to the father's will. Jesus very clearly says that. I can do nothing in my own accord, the son of God, but only what I see the father in heaven God the Father doing. So you see the importance and the necessity of surrendering to the Father's will. But the context here is really important as we dive deeper. The context is that Jesus is being assaulted by the religious fundamentalist leaders of the day, the Pharisees. He's being assaulted by them because he broke the Sabbath by healing someone. So he heals somebody on the Sabbath. They tell him you're not allowed to do that. They have this very fundamentalist view of faith, and they begin to attack him. So Jesus then responds to them with this statement. He says, let me tell you something. I, the Son, the Son of God, that's what he's speaking about there, can do nothing on my own accord. I can only do what I see my Father doing, and what my Father does is what I do. Now, this was a shocking statement. This is an explosive statement because those Jewish leaders who know the word of God so well understand exactly what he's saying. He is equating himself with God the Father. He is saying that the Son of God and God the Father, he and the Father are one. They are of one essence You see the mystery of the Trinity bubbling up right here in this passage, and that is blasphemy. That is a controversial statement that Jesus says that my life as the Son of God, I'm one essence with the Father, but I am surrendered to the Father's will, and I only do what I see him doing. It's blasphemous, and it's it's hard for them, I imagine, even the disciples who are with him to process what he's saying, because there's a question that comes up. Here's the question. If Jesus is God, then why does he need permission from God the Father to act? Right? He says, I don't do anything on my own accord, only what I see the Father doing. If Jesus is God, why does he need permission from the Father to act? The answer is because Jesus is fully human. He's fully God. And he's fully man. You see, it's a really important thing to understand, and we we dove into this last week as well, and that's this. Jesus didn't use his divinity to disadvantage, 
or to advantage his humanity. Jesus didn't use his divinity to advantage his humanity. He was fully God and fully man, which means he didn't pretend to be like you and me. He really was like you and me. He didn't use his divinity, fully God, to advantage his humanity. And so in Jesus' humanity, he needed to be surrendered to the Father's will. What he sees the Father doing is what he will do because Jesus lived a perfect life in submission perfectly to the Father's will. There's another question that goes with that. Okay, so Jesus didn't use his divinity to advantage his humanity, and so that meant he needed to be surrendered to the Father's will for his life, which he was. And so what he sees the Father doing is what he does. How does Jesus see what the Father is doing? What's the answer? It was the answer to every question last week. What's the answer? The Spirit. There we go. We remember. So Jesus, in his humanity, he didn't use his divinity to advantage it. He surrendered to the Father's will. And what he sees the Father doing is what he does. And the way that he sees what the Father is doing is through the Spirit. This is so important to understand. If, if Jesus is the model for how you are to live and how I am to live, that means in our humanity, which we don't have the possibility of advantaging with any divinity, we need to be surrendered to the Father's will. We need to see what the Father is doing and what he calls for our life. And the way that we do that is through reliance on the Spirit, particularly through spiritual practices. And that is because the Spirit activates spiritual power in your life through spiritual practices. So we're going to get practical in this series. It's really important. I don't want to stay in, 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 in just the clouds and in macro theology. I want to get into some practicalities because it's so important. The Spirit activates spiritual power in your life. He fuels your life and activates your life so you might see the Father's will. You might follow the Father's will. You might experience what God wants to do in your life. How? Through spiritual practices, through established spiritual practices. And I want to say something that is a strong statement, but I mean every word of it, and that is this. Spiritual practices are guaranteed places of transformative power. Spiritual practices are places of guaranteed transformational power. Guaranteed. And it's not because I'm telling you, it's because God's word tells us this. That these spiritual practices and these disciplines, they're guaranteed places of transformative power. Tonight we're going to look at nine spiritual practices. Very briefly, there's a lot more. And so if you want to read more, you want to study more, you want to understand more, in the notes uh, icon on the app, I put two books that I recommend. So you could check that out. That's there for you. But before we jump in, I want to put a few guardrails. I think it's important that we have guardrails um, as we move through this series. And the first guardrail is this. Spiritual practices do not make you a Christian. That's important. They do not make or establish your relationship with God. And the second part of that is that spiritual practices don't impress God. You are not working out these spiritual practices in your life so you can earn spiritual points with God. Like, hey, God, I prayed again. How much is that worth? You know, how much did I get? 
You're not impressing him. You're not earning points with God. You're not activating another level of something because you're doing these. No, no, no. These are important. They're guaranteed places of power and transformation. But they do not establish your faith. And they do not impress God. There's a really uh, important passage in Scripture. It's one of my favorite. It's one of the ones that really impacted me, particularly when I came to faith. And that's Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 8 through 10. Very clearly outlines what I'm just saying. And I want to read it to you. It says this. For by grace you have been saved. Through faith. There it is. If anyone asks you, how are you saved? How do you establish a relationship with God? It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, not how many spiritual practices you put in your life or how zealous you've been or how disciplined, none of that. It's a gift of God so that no one can boast. So you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. It's a gift of God to you. It is not established by any of your works. That's so important to understand But then verse 10 brings us to what we're looking at today. Verse 10 says this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here's what I love about this verse. If you've heard this verse before, when you hear the word good works, maybe you're like me, and the first thing you think about is doing good things for other people serving other people, caring for other people, like good works, a a service project, caring for your neighbor, doing something sacrificially good for another person. That is good works. But there's a larger understanding of what the Apostle Paul is saying. See, good works are any works that you do that are deemed by God as good. And what verse 10 tells us is that we are God's workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus, meaning that We're supposed to become like Christ Jesus because we're in him for good works. So we're created for works that are good, and God prepared them so that we would walk in them. So this is not a one-time thing, good works that we do once a month or once every six months. This is an everyday walking in good works. And what I want to posit to you is that these spiritual practices are a large chunk of the good works that you're to walk in every day because they form you into the image of Christ. You're created in Christ for good works. God prepared them, so walk in them. And these spiritual practices are good works that you're to walk in. Here's the next side of of these guardrails. It's not really a guardrail, it's just kind of like to understand so we don't get confused. If you're like me, it's helpful because you, you can start thinking other things and then you lose track. That happens to me all the time. Spiritual practices are not spiritual gifts. They're separate things, okay? They're connected, and we're going to see that, but they're separate things. Spiritual practices are not spiritual gifts. We're going to develop and dive into specific spiritual gifts, 21 of them over the next four weeks. But here's what I want you to hear. One simple statement, we're going to develop it more, but that's this. Spiritual practices are primarily for strengthening the individual. They're primarily to strengthen you. Spiritual gifts are primarily used to strengthen others. So very clear difference. Spiritual practices are primarily used to strengthen you. Spiritual gifts are primarily used to strengthen others. I don't know why, but I thought about a car illustration this week, which helps me. 
And so here's how I think about it. The Holy Spirit is the fuel that activates the engine of our spiritual lives. Spiritual practices are those components of the engine. Now, I only know about three of them because I know nothing about cars, only how to drive them. So spiritual practices are like pistons and the fan belts and a carburetor, other things. (laughs) They are every gas-powered car has these things. You have to have those things or you do not have a working engine. So spiritual practices are those building blocks that all cars have. And so for you, spiritual practices are building blocks in your life that should be true of every Christian. These should be things in your life. Now, they may look different and take different forms and shapes, but they are a part of your life. Spiritual gifts, as we will see, are the other aspects of the car that differentiate one from another. It's the things that differentiate one car from another in use and in ability. It's what makes a Corvette and a Jeep different. They both have the same type of engine, maybe different power or whatever, but they have those basic building blocks, and they both take fuel. That's true of your spiritual life. Your spiritual gifts are unique, and they are different. But we all have something in common. We're to have the same building blocks of spiritual practices in our life, and the only way we are activated in our spiritual practices and in our spiritual gifts is through the fuel, which is the Holy Spirit. It's not in your own doing. It's not in what I'm saying. It's in the Holy Spirit who activates it. Just like a car that may look great and have all types of ability, has a great engine, but if there's no fuel going into it, it's not going to work. And that's what we're trying to develop here. The Holy Spirit activates your life. These spiritual practices are the building blocks of your life, how the Holy Spirit works in and through you, and we'll see how these spiritual gifts mark you as unique and how God wants to use you and the different abilities he has for you to use for the strengthening of others. Okay, so what are the spiritual practices? As I said, we're going to look at nine. It's going to be very quick. We're going to move through them. So take some of your own notes. There's nine spiritual practices I want to highlight. There's more. But I want you to be thinking specifically on these two things. One, is this spiritual practice in my life? And if not, how might I begin to think about implementing it into my life. Because the fact of the matter is, a car doesn't drive without a well-built engine. It doesn't drive. And your spiritual life, if it's not built with an engine that has all the working parts, is not going to drive well. It may break down along the road. And that's why these are so important. Because the Spirit activates spiritual power in our lives through spiritual practices. So I have them here on my phone, and I'm going to go through them. The first one is, I think, the most basic, and it is probably the most important. I don't know if you can rank them, but I just did. And that is this, prayer. Prayer is a spiritual practice. Now, there's different ways to pray. You can pray spontaneously. You can pray when you're going from work to your office to lunch, when you're in your car, when you're on your bike. You can pray when you're walking out of here. You can pray all the time. You have full access to God, but prayer is not only spontaneous. It should also be scheduled and set apart. Time in the morning, time in the evening, time during your week. It is set apart and it is focused. Because you have one of the greatest gifts in the world, which is full access to the very God who created you at any moment. Can you imagine taking, why would we take advantage? 
not take advantage of that. That is not something to overlook. You have full access to God. It says that when Jesus died on the cross and when he said it is finished, the veil tore in the temple that separated the holy of holies where God's presence was from the people. That tore in half, symbolizing that you have full access to the presence of God. And that's through prayer. And I want, I want you to hear something. Prayer is not about performance. It's about presence. It's not about performance. So please do not think that the kind of prayers that God wants you to pray are prayers that, that you've heard somebody else pray. Right? Like, I think i got to use a thou or an art thou. I'm not really sure what that means, but I'm going to use that. Some like Jehovah Jireh. That sounds good. I'm going to use that. Now, prayer is not about performance. It's about presence. God wants you to be present with him. He wants you to be honest with him. He wants you to be real with him. He doesn't need you to use flattering words. He wants you to come before him. Your presence, it needs to be set and scheduled and daily. See, all of these practices, they're, they're going to be a little bit different. Some need to be daily. Some need to be weekly. Some need to be monthly. But prayer is daily. It's daily. I don't know who said this quote. It's been attributed to, a, to, to several different people, but I, I love it, and it's this. More prayer, more power. Less prayer, less power. Shows you the importance. More prayer, more power. Less prayer, less power. First spiritual practice is prayer. The second one is fasting. Now, fasting is the removal or the refraining of something that is integral to your life. Most, the most common thing that people fast from is food. Maybe for a few days or for a few meals because it's integral to your life. And so the idea with fasting is to remove something that you feel that it will affect you. So if you're like, I'm going to fast from, you know, I'm going to fast from going to my neighbor's house. But you never go to your neighbor's house. That's not really helpful, you know, and that would be a weird fast, you know, or I'm going to fast, I'm going to fast from Instagram, but you don't have an Instagram account. Like you can't do that, you know, you can fast, you need to fast from something that you feel. It could be social media, it could be YouTube, it could be Netflix, it could be food, whatever it could be, but the the idea is that you're to, to feel it. Why? Because fasting is dependence on God. So the act of removing something from your life is not what gives spiritual power. It's not what's transformative. It's that when you feel that urge or that hunger or that desire to engage that thing that you've refrained from, it draws you to God. It draws you to prayer because prayer and fasting go together. And so I want to encourage you, next week, as Simone shared, is Expectation Sunday. We invite everybody to fast with us Fast from lunch and from breakfast. Maybe you can do one meal, whatever it is for you. Fast from something. Prepare your heart. Ask God to speak to you. When you hear that hunger pain, when you feel it, pray. Come before God and see how he'll transform you through this spiritual practice. Fasting. We have that rhythm here every month. Don't, some people fast every day. It's intermittent fasting, right? That's great. That's like dietary, but you can use it. If that's you, you can use it as a spiritual practice to pray and to hunger for God when you want to eat and it's 1230 and you're dying inside, right? That's fasting. The third one 
is study, studying scripture. This is engaging the mind in the written and the spoken word of God. And I wrote it that way because it's important to understand what I mean. Studying scripture, which is a spiritual practice, is you experience that and you engage in that in two ways. One is by reading the written word of God. That's that daily rhythm, maybe it's in the morning for you or in the evening or at lunchtime for your break, whenever it is, it's that time where you come and you study God's word, you read God's word, you ask God to apply it to your life, the spirit to illuminate to you what God is saying. But then there's also the listening of God's word, and that's what's happening right now. You're engaging a spiritual practice, which is listening to God's word spoken through a sermon, through small groups. And this is an important spiritual practice because God teaches us his will, who he is, Father, Son, and Spirit. He convicts us and challenges us studying. And this is a daily rhythm, a daily rhythm on the personal side. And I want to encourage you here. So you may be thinking, listen, Carter, I I come on Sunday because I want to listen to the sermon and I go to the Bible study on Thursday nights because Phil's teaching from doubt to faith, and it's really good, and I'm learning a lot, but it's really hard for me to study on my own. I, I open the Bible, and I, I really don't know where to start, and I, even if I pick the book, I, I'm not really getting a lot out of it because I don't really fully understand it. I understand. I, I know what that feels like, and so I want to give you a very practical encouragement. Download the Bible app. It's one of the most downloaded apps in the entire world, the Version Bible app. It's on every phone. It's amazing. And there are all types of devotionals on there that you can search and, and pick up and read through. It's 10, 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day. Get in that rhythm of studying God's word every day. That's the third. Fourth is simplicity. And simplicity is the practice of contentment. Here's what that means. Simplicity, the spiritual practice of simplicity, doesn't mean selling everything you own. Now, God calls that for some people, but that's not what the spiritual practice of simplicity means for everyone. It's the practicing of contentment, which means it's God working in your mind, the transforming of your mind, and therefore of your heart to be content. Not to feel guilty when you you buy something or you go on a trip or you spend money on something that's enjoyable. That is not the intention and that is not at all uh, what scripture says. But it's, can you be content if you didn't have that? You can get those new pair of shoes, but would you be okay if you didn't? You can go on that trip, but if it got canceled, would you be okay? Could you be content? You can... Get that new car lease, but would you be okay with driving a 2008 Civic? You're like, oh, that would be tough. <laughs> contentment. And, and I was thinking about this. How does, how does the spiritual practice of contentment, how do we walk in that? If this is a good work that God has prepared for us to walk in, outside of just like training our minds and transforming our minds when we feel that, you know, I feel envious or, you know, I'm going to f- try to feel content. How do you practice contentment? And a light bulb went off for me this week. I never thought of it like this, but I think this is true. It's through practicing generosity. That is how you practice the spiritual discipline of of contentment and simplicity. You see, when you give generosity of time, 
or generosity of talent or generosity of treasure to someone or to the church knowing you're not getting anything in return. There is a powerful, transformative experience in that. I want to ask right now, if you have ever served on the foundation team, the Setup and Teron team, ever here in the church in your life, would you raise your hand? Can we thank them? Thank them. Here's why I'm doing that. That is a generosity of time. It requires no talent. There's some talent, you know, caring. But that's why we have the team. It's not about talent. But it's a generosity of time to say once every four or five weeks, I'm going to come to the church early, I'm going to set it up, and then I'm going to tear it down afterwards. And there's no recognition. Some of you don't know some people that come all, they they come more than once a month. And they've learned every in and out nook and cranny of setting up this church and the speakers and the lights and the lobby and they do a big work. And it's not about recognition, but the generosity of time establishes within you contentment. The same is true of the giving of your finances, of your treasure. You see, when you know that your treasure is precious to you, and your time is precious to you, and your talents are precious to you, and you give them away freely with a cheerful spirit, God establishes something in you. You see, the New Testament tells us that the way that we're to give is with a cheerful spirit, not under compulsion. So when you give of your time, when you give of your talent to a different serve team, when you give of your treasure to the mission of the church, and you do it with joy, knowing it is precious, you could do a lot if you kept it all. If you kept your time and your talent and your treasure, you could do a lot more. But you give it away to God, guess what? He's establishing in you contentment, joy. There's a transformative power. And, And I know that because I've had conversations with so many of you that are practicing that life of generosity, of time and talent and treasure. And each one of you to a person has told me how God has used generosity to transform your life. Set an established generosity, not once a year, but every week. It's really important. That's the fourth, simplicity. Fifth is solitude and meditation. I spoke on this a couple weeks ago in the sermon, so I'm going to go deep into it. But solitude and meditation is time alone with God. This is setting, alone, setting aside time without noise, without distraction, just you and God. No music, no nothing, just you and God to listen to God. And that's the whole point. Prayer is talking to God. Scripture is reading God's word. But solitude and meditation is vital because it's listening to God. No agenda and trusting that God will speak. He'll encourage He'll challenge, he'll direct, he'll reorient. Solitude, meditation. The sixth one is service. That is giving to others. Giving of your time and giving of your talent, giving of your treasure. It is serving other people knowing that you're not doing it to get something back. You're just looking to be a gospel presence in their life. You're looking to show love and to show care because the people of God are people that serve. Our leadership is servant leadership. We say here at times at Crossbridge that if you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. Because we, the church, are people that serve. Because how could we not? Our entire faith is based upon 
Jesus Christ, our Messiah, who served and gave his life for us. And we did nothing to earn it or deserve it. And so we're people that serve. We don't hold everything to ourselves. We give and we serve. The seventh spiritual practice is confession. And confession is really just about telling the truth about sin. It's telling the truth about sin. That can be found in two ways for us. One would be confessing to God the sin that we have committed or the things that we're going through or the struggles that we have. It's telling the truth about our sin to God. And it's also telling the truth about our sin to others. Now, this is one of the hardest is having trusted people. I'm not talking about going back and meet a stranger and tell them all your deep, dark secrets, okay? That's not like, I'm doing the spiritual practice, pastor. You know, no. It's having trusted friends that you can tell the truth about sin to, what you're going through, what you're struggling to. Here's what it says, actually, in in the New Testament. When you confess your sin to God and to one another, it heals you. It's healing, It activates healing. You see, I'm telling you that these spiritual practices are places of guaranteed spiritual power, of transformative power. And confessing your sin to God and to others is transformative. It's healing. And confession of sin is not a one-time thing, okay? You know why? What's the answer? Because we sin all the time. (laughs) If you only sinned once, then okay, but why are you here, you know? All of us here, we sin every day, and so we confess to God every day. Even though he knows, we confess because it heals us. God establishes his grace. Wait, I'm confessing, but I'm forgiven. And we do that with others, too, to see healing brought into our life. Confession. Eight, corporate worship. Hey, give yourself a round of applause. You are engaging in a spiritual practice right now. (laughs) You did it. You're like, "That's, that's what I needed. That's what I needed. This is a spiritual practice. The book of Hebrews tells us that we're not to neglect the gathering of God's people for worship. This is important. Here's why it's important. Because you can worship God by yourself. You can. But you're not meant to only worship God by yourself. The identity that has been given to you is the body of Christ. You've been given a communal vision for your life. You're not an individual Christian. You're part of a body. And so if you're part of the body of Christ, you need to spend time with the body of Christ and worship with the body of Christ. It's important. Now, sadly, this spiritual discipline is very much optional in our 2022 church reality. The the numbers show now, the, the stats show that people consider themselves very committed Christians and committed to their church if they go to church once every six weeks. For reference, that means like less than nine times a year. You go to church nine times a year, eight, nine times a year, you're very committed. Now, that just a few decades ago was three times a month. People would identify as very committed to their church and to their faith because they go three times a month. And they only miss if they're out of town or whatever. But that has changed. Now people go to church because do I have any other events? Do I have any other invites? I don't know. I don't. Okay, I'm going to church. And I'm not, you're here, so I'm not, thinking, I'm not talking about you, okay? I'm not talking about you. But I say that because it's important for us to understand that this is important. It's important not just for you, but it's important for everybody else in the room. There's a reason why we sing together. Do you know why that is? So we can sing together. And we can hear each other. And know that you're in the room with other people worshiping the very God that you believe in. The very God that saved you. 
There's power in that. In fact, Jesus has promised that there's a unique presence of God in the room when we're gathered together. It's a spiritual practice that matters, and God transforms through it. And then lastly, the last spiritual practice is one of my favorites, and that is celebration. Celebration is a spiritual practice. That's expressing joy. Of all the people in the world, we should be the most joyful. Do you believe that? We have the most to celebrate. We've been forgiven, we've been loved, we've been cared for, and we didn't do anything to deserve it. Our eternity is set. We have this amazing group of people that God has called us to from all over the world, and God has promised to work good in our lives. He's given us access to him in prayer. He has a spirit that has been given to us that is activated in our lives. We have our people of joy. We're to be celebratory. It is said that Jesus himself went from table to table in the New Testament. He's always at a dinner party. And his first miracle was what? Water into wine. We are people of joy, friends. Okay? Here's what I want to tell you. All of these spiritual disciplines I just told you, these spiritual practices, Jesus practiced. You don't have to look hard. Let's think of the first one. Did Jesus pray? All the time. Pray without ceasing. Did Jesus fast? Yes, that's how he began his public ministry. It was a 40-day fast. That's unbelievable. Did Jesus practice simplicity, contentment? Certainly he did. He was the greatest picture of contentment. Did Jesus practice solitude and meditation? Yes, in fact, it says that he withdrew himself to a desolate place so he could pray. Did Jesus study scripture? He's recounting it all the time. So of course he did. We see him in the temple even as a 12-year-old boy studying scripture, memorizing scripture. Did Jesus, did Jesus practice, I already said solitude and meditation, corporate worship? Yeah, corporate worship. He was always in the synagogue, and we see Jesus traveling to Jerusalem for the festivals to go to the temple. He's with God's people worshiping all the time. Did Jesus practice serving? What's the answer? I mean, come on. Of course. Did Jesus practice celebration? I just told you, first miracle, water into wine. And he's always at a dinner party. And then you're, you may be thinking, wait, wait. I got you. Jesus didn't practice confession. Because Jesus never sinned. So he never needed to confess sin. That's correct. But I said confession is telling the truth about sin. Did Jesus tell the truth about sin? Yes, he did. Always. He always told the truth about sin, even when it was difficult. You see, Jesus practiced all of these spiritual disciplines. They were the building blocks of his life and readily apparent in his public ministry. Do you think they should be a part of our life? I mean, the answer is what? Please say yes. <laughs> they are. Jesus' ministry was activated by the Spirit. And power was turned up in Jesus' life through these practices, through prayer and fasting and studying. Because Jesus didn't use his divinity to advantage his humanity. He relied upon the Spirit he lived his life with the building blocks of these spiritual practices present so that he could see what the Father was doing.
that he might follow the Father's will. The Spirit activates spiritual power in your life through spiritual practices. And I want to close with this last statement, or this last thing to say. There are three things that are barriers for you to experience the guaranteed transformative power of spiritual practices in your life. Three things. There's probably more, but I just want to give you three. And the first one is this. The need for instant gratification. See, I told you that these spiritual practices are guaranteed places of power. They are guaranteed places of transformative power, but I never told you they're immediate. They're not immediate. The establishment of these practices is like a caterpillar that will blossom into a butterfly. It's like working out. If you go to the gym and you're like, I really want results. Here's what I want to see happen. As you go to the gym, you work out one time, you go home and look in the mirror, you go, didn't work. You know, I don't believe in working out. If, the same is true with spiritual practices. If you're like, okay, I'm going to start to implement these spiritual practices in my life, and a week goes by, and you're like, hey, it's not working. It's like working out. You see, it's not about the practices. It's how the Spirit activates you through the practices. And so as you establish them, you stay consistent with them, and the Spirit brings transformation through them. Don't settle for immediate gratification. Secondly is self-doubt. Self-doubt is the next barrier, which is this. You may be sitting here thinking, listen, I know Jesus practiced these. It's important for me too. I'm sure other people do, but I'm not really the person that's capable of doing that. I'm not mature enough. I'm not knowledgeable enough. Like, I'm new at this. When you were reading those nine spiritual practices, I've done like two of them and like sometimes. So this is not for me. Friend, let me tell you, do not doubt. Here's why. The transformational power that is guaranteed and given to you through spiritual practices is not on you. It's the spirit that activates them. So you could be a Christian for a day, an hour, a second, or 20 years. It is not your knowledge or your maturity or your level of spiritual discipline that is going to activate power in your life. It is the spirit. Do not doubt because you, like, you don't know enough and you're still new at this and it's hard for you. No, no, no. The Spirit will activate power in your life. Trust in the Spirit, not yourself. In fact, what happens, the longer you're a Christian, you start to trust in yourself more. And that's why many of us, we've been Christians a long time, so we go through seasons of, of dryness. We don't really experience God because we're relying on ourselves. Trust in the Spirit. And the third thing is this, religious motivation. This is for all my type A in the room, my fixers in the room, okay? I know some of you here. Here's a barrier. Carter told me to take notes. I took notes. And I, I wrote everything out, and I know the things I need to do. I starred the ones that I'm not doing well. I need to implement better. And so this week, I have a busy schedule, but I'm going to figure out how to put these in my life. I'm going to add them. I'm going to establish them, and I'm going to do them because that's what I do. I get things done. Listen. It is important to think and to process and to schedule and to add these in your life. But if your motivation for doing it is from a religious place, I just need to do the right religious thing, I need to add them to my life, I need to do them, you're going to miss the power. Because God is not asking for you to establish these from some religious motivation. He wants you to know that when you establish these in your life, you're encountering God. 
not some religious to-do list. So with that mentality and with that motivation, establish them, prioritize them, because you know that these are places where you encounter the very living God. Here's what Revelation 22 says. I love this. This is one of the very last verses in the entire Bible. And the Spirit speaks. It says this, Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. I hope tonight you hear this. The Spirit is inviting you to come. Don't doubt. Don't come out of religious motivation. Don't settle for this immediate gratification. Come because the Spirit is calling you. And where you are hungry and where you are thirsty and where you have desires for for God's will to be activated for your life and for him to lead you and fill you and give you power and anoint you, would you know that the Spirit is inviting you to come to him through these practices? It doesn't have to be a mystery. It can be very clear and practical as God's word is to us. So would you come to the Spirit tonight through these nine practices? Amen? Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word, which encourages us and challenges us and invites us to come. It invites us to come to you. It invites us to rely upon you. It invites us to to your presence. God, we want to encounter you through these nine spiritual practices. God, we ask that your spirit would motivate us because we are people that are saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves, but you have established these good works for us to walk in so that we might be formed into the image of Christ. And so, Lord, tonight, We come before you believing you at your word. Spirit of truth, would you bring us to an understanding of all truth, including a true spiritual life and how to live this life. And so, Lord, your grace is abundant. Your spirit is present. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.